How many of you like a good party? Do you like a good party? Uh, more in the second service, which makes sense, because they're the early risers in the first service. I said, do you like a party? And it's like, oh, what? We went to bed at 9 so we could get here. But you guys are the partiers at 11, and so I expect that this sermon's going to go way better today than it did this morning. Now, I think it was all right this morning, but because you like a good party, you're going to be excited to know that Jesus is at a party with some sketchy people. Now, how many of you have been at a party with sketchy people? No, just, ah, oh, got you. So you guys, man, that was too easy. The hands were going up before I even finished. Oh, yeah, I'm there, right? But Jesus is at a party. He's at a feast in Luke chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today, Luke chapter 14. We're looking at, actually, it's really cool because the setting is a feast. Jesus is at like an actual feast. He's been invited to. I'll talk about that in a minute. And then he's going to use that setting to tell a couple stories about feasts, about parties, about banquets, and, and use that to teach some spiritual truth. These parables are, are short stories that illustrate shocking spiritual truths, and he's going to shock the people who are listening. But he's using that setting that he's in. And I love the fact that he's at, at a, a feast, a banquet, because I think like banquets and feasts and parties and and Great meals are places where, like, togetherness is found, and they're places where, like, memories are made, right? Some of your best memories may revolve around feasts, parties, banquets. Some of your worst memories may revolve around the same things. Uh, but as you think about it, you, you think about, like, a wedding feast, a wedding banquet. You go to someone's wedding, and you're excited for the couple, and you're honored that you were invited, and you show up, and you pray that the, that the pastor is short, and that the feast is long, right? You want the pastor to preach short and the feast to be a buffet. If you go to a wedding and you get both of those, it's a win no matter what. Short sermon, buffet. But when you go to a wedding and there's like this togetherness. You, you go to a wedding and you see people you haven't seen for a long time, right? As a, a pastor, a you, you know, former youth pastor, now a pastor at a different church, go to weddings for, for people who grew up in my youth group, see all kinds of people that I hadn't seen in a while. And there's like this sense of togetherness and sense of belonging and, and, and being able to reconnect with people. You think about your holiday meals, Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas and what some of those meals mean. Church potlucks, anybody? Right? And I know two services, how are we going to do the, the potlucks? Well, I'll tell you, on July 2nd, we're working, and since I've already said it in the first service, we're committed, so we've got to do it. July 2nd, we want to do like a big barbecue and party at the end of the second service. So those other people, they can go home and get their nap and then come back. And you guys will be amped and ready for the party. But we love parties because they're places of togetherness and places of belonging. As a matter of fact, you know, some people, they go out and, and, and they get ready to move and they're going to buy a new home. And they search for like their dream home and they have the different ideas of what they want that home to look like. My wife and I did it a little bit differently when we were moving from University Place to Puyallup. Um, we found our dream table first, our dream dining room table. So when we were first married in the first bunch of years, we had a tiny little house, and you could fit like, it didn't have a dining room, but you could fit like a card table in the corner of the kitchen, and that's where me and my wife, and then we had one daughter, and then we had twins, and the five of us around basically a card table, and that was interesting. But we were walking through a mall one day, and in the store we saw this amazing table, and I liked it as a man because it was made of wood and metal. And I thought, like, that is an amazing table. And we looked at it, and we thought, that's a great table. But it's, like, bigger. It's, the square footage of the table is bigger than the square footage of my house. I can't actually do that. But one day, we said. And so we got ready to move, and we were looking for a place to move. You know what? We were like, 
one thing, okay? I got three girls. I need a couple bathrooms, but I need it to be able to fit that big table. Like We're going to buy the table. We're going to put it in. And we found a place that had a dining room area that was big enough to do that. You know why? Because we love to have people come over and eat dinner or have groups over, have family. Today, this afternoon, today's my twins' 14th birthday. You can say happy birthday to them later. We won't sing now. Oh, thanks. Good. Right? But the family's all going to come over, and there will be 20 of us or so, and we'll hang out, and we'll eat, and we'll be together. And we love that because around tables, we find togetherness. We find belonging. Jesus is a master at using everyday life things to tell stories to help us understand spiritual points. And the Bible is actually really cool when it comes to feasts and banquets and tables because one of the things that we find as we look at that in Scripture is that when Jesus or when the Bible talks about a feast or a banquet, one of the things that it's talking about is belonging in the family of God. So it's talking about belonging in the, in the kingdom of God, where God has his rule and God has his reign. I'll show you what I mean in a couple places. We're going to be in Luke 14, 1 today, but if you just look on the other side of the page, if you have pages in your Bible, do, do any of you have pages in your Bible? Anybody, please, Lord, help us. Yes! So if you look at the, uh, just at the other column over there, um, in Luke 13, verse 29, it says this, and, and Jesus is actually talking to them about like the way of salvation, and he says this, And people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will recline at table in the kingdom of God. He's actually talking about a feast that's going to happen. This is end times kind of thing, like in the kingdom of God in, in eternity. At the end of like the world as we know it right now, that there's going to be a great feast. And he said, north, south, east, and west, right? He's talking about people from all kinds of walks of life. And he's saying all of those kinds of people are going to come and they're going to feast together. Now, a really important Old Testament passage for under, understanding this is Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25 talks about this idea. Isaiah 25, 6, it says... And this is a prophecy of a later time. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. How many of you love rich food? Not rich people food. Rich food, right? Like ribs with a lot of fat on them. You like that? Right? Yeah. You like prime rib. You like spare ribs. You like, like smoked beef brisket. Rich food. If you're a vegetarian, I'm really sorry this morning. What, what's a rich vegetarian? Oh, that's right. They don't have any. Yeah, that's what I thought. Sorry. You're still welcome here. It's not biblical, but you're welcome. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, a feast of rich food and a feast. Oh, no. Of well-aged grape juice. I don't know what that is. Some of you are looking at your Bibles like, Wait, what, what translation is he reading? A feast of well-aged wine. I said the first service. That's not boxed wine, right? No, they didn't laugh because they're not the partiers, but I think you guys get it. A rich food full of marrow, well-aged, well-refined, wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over the nations. Isaiah's prophesying of this feast. It's going to be an amazing, incredible feast, an amazing, incredible party for the people of God. And Revelation chapter 19 actually gives us a view into that. If you know anything about Revelation, like this is where we go to try to understand something about what it's going to be like after all this. And Revelation 19, 
says this, uh, starting in verse 6, and if you have the little headings uh, above some of the verses in yours like I have in mine, mine says, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It goes like this, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. I would suggest to you, if your party starts out that way, it's going to be a good party, Right? If it starts out loud and raucous and there's like peals of thunder happening, it's probably a good setup for a good party. You go to a party and everybody's sitting on the couch and they're quiet and nobody wants to meet. You go to a Super Bowl party like that, I don't know if we should cheer. We're Baptists, right? Yeah. Like in the Bible, the parties have cheering. He says, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Why? Because this is a party about God. Verse 7, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's the people of God, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The imagery here is of Jesus in all of his glory and his church, his people, who are coming together at this incredible feast to celebrate what God has done and celebrate the glory of God and to celebrate the victory of Jesus. And in verse 9, it says, The angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can I suggest that that's the party we all want to be invited to? That's the party you want to be part of. You think that like your wedding party or your anniversary dinner or that block party was a big deal? That's the one, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the reason I read some of those texts is because when we come back to Luke 14, I want you to go back to Luke 14, is that when Jesus tells some of these stories about feasts, that's like the undercurrent that's kind of underlying. That when, when he's telling these stories and the religious people who hear him, this is kind of some of what they're going to be hearing. And you're going to see indicators of that as we go along in the text today. Is that they have this idea, not just that they're gathered at a party now, but, but that again, that, that feasts, and by the way, I would say to you that when we get together around a table, like literally, and we feast together and we enjoy it, there's a little piece of mimicking heaven that's going on. As a matter of fact, that like part of the reason that we enjoy that as people so much is because it's a little foretaste of what's supposed to happen in the end. And when Jesus talks about these feasts, he's talking about here and now, but he's talking about belonging in the people of God. He's talking about belonging in the kingdom of God. And here's kind of how, how that goes. In verse 1, we'll just look at verse 1 real quick. It says, On one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So I'll tell you a couple of things. Jesus is, is eating with a group of religious insiders, the Pharisees. A ruler of the Pharisees is throwing a big party. And he's invited all of his friends, and he's invited some other people, and he's invited Jesus as a rabbi. And I won't read the rest of 1 through 6, but you realize that there are a couple of conspicuous invitees. They've invited Jesus in order to watch him and to try to trick him because they don't like him. They've also invited a guy who has a disease, and he's not a guy who would normally have been invited to these parties at all, but they invite this guy because they're going to use him in a plot to try to trick Jesus. Will Jesus heal this guy on the Sabbath and break our rules? And so these people have been invited. You see, what's happening is, is Jesus is eating with some religious insiders who think that, that due to their like, religious piety, due to their social status, due to their goodness, they think that they automatically have a seat at God's table. 
This is really important. That they think because of their religious piety and because of their religious social status, all the good things that they do for God, that they automatically have a seat at God's table. I want you to know that there is no good that you can do for God that will earn you a seat at his table. There is no religious piety that you can have. There is no number of verses that you can memorize. There are no, not enough money that you can give. There's no religious ideology that you can follow on your own free will and volition that will grant you a seat at God's table. But these religious leaders thought that because of who they were and all the things that they had done for God, that they were automatically granted a seat at the table. And Jesus is going to tell them stories to say, no, that's not the case at all. And in that day, when it says that they were at a feast, some things that you need to know about feasts in terms of background is that, that feasts were where social status was gained and maintained. Who invited you to their parties and who you invited to your parties spoke everything about your social status. Does that sound familiar at all? Right? You're like, wait a minute. Uh, that was high school, right? You're like, wait a minute. That's now in my work. But it was even more the case in that day and in smaller towns or villages or even in a city like Jerusalem that everybody knew when someone was throwing a party and everybody knew who was going to the party and conversely, everybody knew who wasn't invited to the party. This was a honor and shame culture where honor and shame, your identity was wrapped up in your honor. And it was very honorable to be invited to a party by an important person. And so when you received the invitation and you went, you felt highly honored Conversely, if you didn't receive an invitation and you didn't go, you felt shamed. They were pretty tricky as well in that they set up their tables in a certain way and, and, and the master, the host of the party, would sit at the head of the table and then they would put people in order of importance as they went down the line. And so sometimes they might invite you to their party not to honor you, but to shame you. And they might say, hey, we have a seat for you at the party. It's right back over there, Right? Now, the places of honor at, here at Puyallup Community Baptist Church, as we all know, is in the back row. So if you're sitting in the back row, you're welcome. You are honored. The further back you go, the more honored position you get. So that means that if you come in and you go straight to the back, oh, we're going to hear a parable about you in a minute. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? No. But in that day, honor and shame were doled out. And they were, society was maintained and established in large part through these feasts and through these different things. And so you would only invite people who, who either you liked and was like you or could do something for you. The other cool thing about these feasts is like if I wanted to honor myself, I'd invite my friend Jason and I'd say, come to my party. You are religious and amazing and awesome, and, and you're an author and obviously best-selling and amazing at, at that. And if I know you, then maybe people will know me, and I would invite Jason, and he would say, I'm honored that you would be so honored to honor me and honor you by having me come to your party. Lots of honor going around. And he would come to my party. His motives for coming to my party, however, were if he came to my party... Then when he threw a party, then he could invite me and he could say, I have the esteemed, preeminent, one of pastors of Puyallup Community Baptist Church at my party. And I am so honored that you're honored to be honoring me at my party. And it was all about bestowing honor on people. John MacArthur says it this way, that the whole scene of these parties was an exercise in self-promotion. Like the whole thing that was going on, it wasn't like, let's have a barbecue and get a bunch of friends together and hang out and have a good time. It was all about self-promotion. 
How many of you have ever been to a dinner theater? You've been to a dinner theater? A dinner theater is where they have dinner, and then there's a theater, right? So you eat and you watch. Have you done that? We're about to hear dinner theater right now, right? What's going on with these religious people doing their invite everybody to feast and all that? It's just a big show. It's all to show who's important, who's who, who's included, who's excluded. Do you think the church ever becomes a dinner theater? Do you think the church ever becomes a religious dinner theater? Who's here and who's not and who's in and who's out? Do you go to the cool kid church? None of you do, so don't worry. At least not today, I promise, right? But do you go to the cool church or do you go to the not-so-cool church? Yes, we can play religious dinner theater just as easy as the Pharisees did. That's the context of the stories that Jesus is going to tell. That's the context of him telling these people some very important things related to the seats that are available in the kingdom of God. And so then in verse 7, he'll pick it up and he'll, he'll start telling these stories. Verse 7, it says, He told a parable who, to those who were invited. So Jesus is at the party. A bunch of different people have been invited, and he grabs the microphone. Now, when Jesus grabs the microphone, you know what you do? You listen, right? Jesus grabs the microphone. He says, I, I, I have something to say to all of you who have been invited to the party. Let me chat with you for a minute. Now, I don't know what the master of the party is thinking. Like, this is my party. That should be my microphone. How's Jesus on the karaoke machine? Not cool, right? Jesus gets the microphone. He says, I'm going to talk to all of you who are here at the party. It says, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Like they chose the back row, right? When they chose the places of honor, he said, verse 8, When you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited both of you will come and say, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Do you guys know the walk of shame? Have you heard of the walk of shame before? That's like when one of these guys has to use the bathroom during the service and they stand up and they have to walk all the way back down through everybody and back. That's the walk of shame. Everybody's watching them. Oh, man. If you guys have to go, I'm really sorry right now. Right? Yeah, the walk of shame. We've all had to take it at some point. You've got to walk up to somebody and be like, man, I'm really sorry. Right? So Jesus is saying here, if you go to a wedding feast, okay, and maybe this is what you get out of the whole sermon and it'll save you. You go to the wedding feast. Don't walk into the auditorium where they have all the round tables set up for everybody and the little numbers are on them and you're trying to figure out what table to sit at so you can get to the buffet first. When you walk into that and then there's like, you know, the stage and there's like two really nice tables up front and they've got special decorations on them and everything's great. Your seat is not the ones in the middle of that table up on the stage. Now, this is news to some of us. Like, wait, what? If you walk in and you're like, oh, sweet, they've prepared for me. I'll sit up there. You're going to take the walk of shame. They're going to come, the DJ is going to come up. <clears throat> I'm getting ready to introduce some people that are more important than you. And everybody's out there watching like, that idiot, what was wrong with him, right? Here's what these folks were doing. We laugh, it's comical, haha. But they're walking into these parties and they're like, I know where the most important seats are. And they were just walking up and availing themselves to them. I am the most important. And there couldn't be someone else more important than me here. I'll tell you what, that seat must be reserved for me. I'll, I'll go there. 
Remember when two of Jesus' disciples did that? And they, they went to their mom. Like, there's a lot to be said for that anyway. But they went to their mom. Mom, get us some seats with Jesus. Guys, don't do that, right? And, and she goes up and she says, let my son sit at your right and your left in the kingdom. What, what is she asking for? And what does Jesus condemn them for in that moment? Because they're asking for the places of greatest honor. And Jesus says this instead, verse 10, When you were invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of the one who sits at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's what Jesus is doing right away. He's condemning their attitude of self-importance and self-promotion. There exists within all of us some proclivity towards self-importance and self-promotion. And Jesus is condemning that attitude in these religious people. He's saying, if you come into the church, if you come into the house, if you come into the relationship situation with this, I'm the most important here, you're going to be humbled, and it's not going to feel good. He says, but conversely, if you humble yourself, if you take the, the seats that nobody else wants, and again, I'm using obviously using these seats as a, a joke. We don't care where you sit here. Don't sit in the spit zone. That's an ugly place to be. But in our attitudes in coming to church and being part of church and being part of the Christian community, right, like, rather than self-importance and self-promotion, rather than being the people who are exalting themselves, the, the self-glorifying position seekers, that kind of thing, instead of looking for the social status like, how can I serve somebody else? How can I be here to, to, like, humble myself? How can I think about other people and look out for other people? One of the things I said to the first service that's been a challenge to me, I spent the weekend with some, some pastors. It was a really good time. Pastors in our network, um, Tim and Esther Neufeld, were there. It was a good, good time. Um, but one of the things that got impressed on me in, in the midst of all that is that when a church grows, it's easy to get cocky. Right? So like when a church grows, they go from one service to two services, and everybody's excited. Most of us are excited, right? When a church grows, it's easy to get, get cocky. We're in, a, in, a, in an association of churches where there aren't a lot of growing churches. So it's easy for me to go to a, a conference with a group of pastors, and there would be a couple churches that are growing and several that are either steady or in decline, and to start to be like, all right, not bad. Where's my seat? Oh, up there? Okay. Right? But it's easy for us. We want to be proud of what God is doing at PCBC. Do you agree with that? Like, I want to be proud of what God is doing at Puyallup Community Baptist Church. Some of you guys have been here a few weeks, one week, a few months, maybe a year or so. Like, we are excited about what God is doing at PCBC. Okay? We're excited about what God is doing and the people that God is bringing to this church. The fact that we went from one service to two services doesn't mean anything about me or Lauren or our leadership team or anything like that. It means that God has decided to bless this church. There's no room for self-exaltation on any of our parts. I want you to be proud. Yes, I go to Puyallup Community Baptist Church. I'm excited about what God is doing. You don't know Jesus? I know where you can hear about him, right? That's the desire. That's the goal. Because here's what I believe is that healthy 
Christians are humble Christians, that healthy churches are humble churches. And I can't control what any other church does or what any other leaders do, but what we want to do here is to just continue to establish that mindset that like God is driving this thing and we're just trying as hard as we can to keep up, right? And then we want to see the church grow. Why? Because God loves people. We say that in our starting point. We want to see the church grow because we believe that God loves people, but, but I believe that healthy churches have a healthy humility in understanding who they are, understanding what God has called them to do, and I want that to be the place for us. Why? Because I want as many people as possible to come here and to find a seat at the table. My table? No. Lauren's table? No. God's table. I want as many people as possible to come here and to hear about the hope that Jesus offered. Today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm glad you're here. All I want you to know is, at the end of the day, like, there's belonging at God's table. There's community at God's table. In the family of God, there's, like, hope and there's community. And we all desire community. And I want this church to be that place, not this holy huddle where only hard-hearted religious people get to hang out. Right? By the way, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. Like, I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm excited about it. But Jesus is confronting those things because they're so important. He actually continues in, in that confrontation. Verses 12 and following. Verses 12 to 14, he kind of changes his, uh, his audience. He says, uh, verse 12, He said also to the man who had invited him. Jesus says, now I've talked to all the guests. And then he turns, and now I'm going to talk to the guy that invited everybody. And I would suggest to you that if you're willing to offend the guy who invited you, you either really confident in your message as Jesus was, or you're crazy. He said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends. Whoa, wait, what? The girls had a little, had some friends over yesterday, and they were all hanging out. Can you imagine? I was like, it's your birthday, you guys. You can have some people over, but not your friends, right? I know your friends. They're crazy. Oh, wait, right? You can have some people over, but they have to be people you don't like. Wait, what, Dad? There's another part of this verse that most of you are going to love. This is going to become some of your life verse. He says, when you invite, have a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives. Anyone? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I got all I need and I can go home. Right? Some of you at Thanksgiving are going to be like, I got a verse. I was going to have you over, but I got a verse. Jesus said, don't invite my relatives. It's right there. Right? Don't invite your friends, your, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. Here's what's going on. He's not saying... He's not saying that you can't hang out with people you like. He's not saying that you got to shun your family, although some of you may be trying to, right? What he is condemning is this idea of exclusivity where that's all we care about. Most of us have a tendency, I have a tendency, to hang out with people I like or people who can do things for me, right? If you're good with, like, power tools and you wonder why we're friends, I just told you, right? <laughs> No, but we all have a tendency to hang out with people who, that we're like or that are like us or that like us and can stand to be around us. We all have a tendency to even sometimes hang out with people because, like, man, they can do things for us. 
What, what he's not condemning here is what we'll call commonality. Okay, Jesus isn't saying that. Commonality is like, hey, we both like the same sports team, and we're going to watch it together. Um, we both like the same hobby, and so we're going to go do that thing together. We have uh, like commonality in the way that we raise our family, and we're friends. and That's a wonderful thing. There's a difference between commonality and what we'll call here exclusivity. Okay? in this context. And what I mean is religious exclusivity. There's a, there's a place for exclusivity. The exclusivity of Scripture, like this is God's Word and this alone, right? That's exclusivity in a good way. But what happens is religious, being religiously exclusive means I'm only going to hang out with people who are just like me. I'm only going to hang out with people. I'm only going to offer a seat at the table to people who are just like me, right? It's when our churches become very homogenous in a variety of different ways. And what Jesus is condemning is that these guys were playing religious dinner theater. And he's saying, stop playing religious dinner theater where you invite your friends and the people who are just like you and the people who have something to offer you. He said, stop just being that way. And then he goes on, and, and I told you that parables like, are shocking, right? And here's the first of those shockers in verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Those people, in that day, the religious people that are listening to Jesus right now, their minds are blown. Because you see, those people were the outcasts of society. Those were the outsiders. Those were the ones who were excluded. Because if you were blind, or you were lame, or you were poor, you had some sort of a disease, a sickness, an illness, oftentimes the religious people saw that you had that physical problem because of sin in either your life or one of your family members' lives. And so we need to exclude those people because they're sinful people. In fact, if you read verses 1 through 6, you realize that they had, they had intentionally brought someone like that to their banquet. And you say, well, look, they're following. No, they're not following what Jesus said. They brought that person to their banquet to use that person to trap Jesus, not out of a heart of generosity. And at the end of the day, I think we all tend to think that the seats at the table should all look a lot like we look. And Jesus says, invite the people who are crippled and lame and blind. Verse 14, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There is room at the table for generosity. Just like we saw a minute ago that there's room at the table for humility, there's room at the table for generosity, for, for bringing people in. The church is not a place for religious elitism. I've seen so many little Baptist churches die because they are religiously elite and holding on to things that really don't matter that much at all or holding too firmly to things that they shouldn't hold too firmly to and not firmly enough to the thing that they should hold firmly to. And they wither and they dwindle and they die or they split or there's ugliness and there's infighting and factions, right? There are lots of people in Puyallup and in the Puyallup area who need an invitation to explore Jesus. And not all of them look just like us. Not all of them think just like us. Not all of them believe just like us. But they need an invitation to explore and understand and to think about Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done. One of the things that, is, that, that I'm 
am passionate about here at our church is that we develop and continue to develop a culture of invitation. It was really cool at Easter. We had over 100 people more than we typically have here. There were over 400 of us here on Easter between two services. And a lot of people showed up because you invited them. We had those little cards, you know, the Easter, join us for Easter. And they worked so good, we made a, n- a new one, more generic. It looks a lot the same. But you can pick those up on the connect table. And, and that's a little way that if you're talking to somebody or you're in a spiritual conversation with somebody and you want to invite them to church, you can just say, like, hey, here you go, and, and invite them to church. And it has our website. And they'll go on the website, and they'll see that really cool video that we had made a few weeks ago. Remember that one? And then they'll think the church is really cool, although we're really not. And then maybe some of you are here today because you were like, wow, I saw the video, and the reality is a lot different than the video. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Uh, but a culture of invitation means that we grow because God loves people. It means that you are convinced enough about what God is doing here that you're excited about it for yourself, and you want other people to know about what God is doing as well. There are other churches around who are doing things for the Lord just as well. You know that? And some people may land in those places, and that's perfectly fine as long as they're exalting Jesus and calling people to follow Jesus. But... We want to continue to be that place where the the invitation to sit at the table is extended. In verses 15 through 24, he'll tell another story about a feast. And it goes right along with the same theme. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So here's what's happening. Jesus is telling these stories. And he's saying, hey, you need to invite people. Like, he's saying, like, your guest list and my guest list look different, right? He's saying, like, your guest list, if you invite to your parties, and my guest list of who I invite into my family, that, they look different. And one of the attendees is not excited about that. And so you need to hear what he says with, like, some smugness. He's being a little bit of a smart aleck. And he says, blessed is everyone who, enters, who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Here's the problem. He thought that only the people who were sitting around that table right then, the religious insiders, the religious good guys, he thought that only those were the people who would eat bread in the kingdom of God. He's contradicting Jesus. He's saying, wait a minute, those poor and crippled and blind, those bad guys, those outsiders, that's, no. They're not going to be the ones who get to sit at God's table. And Jesus says, oh yeah? I'm glad you brought that up. I have a story for you. Can I tell you a story? And Jesus tells him this story. He said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Now, great men throw great banquets and and invite a great amount of people. So Jesus is going to tell a story about a great man and a great banquet. Now, I don't know what the biggest banquet you've been to, but I want that in your mind. And this is like the royal treatment. This is a full deal. For some people, this is like the social event of the year, the social event of their entire lives. He invites many people. And it says this, verse 17, At the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And here's how this works. Is in that day, um, you know, today we'll send out like a save the date for the wedding. And then after a while, you put the date down. And then after a while, you get the actual invitation. And then you're like, do I want to go to this? Like, is there going to be a buffet? How long is the pastor going to be? What's that going to look like? Are they going to have my special seat at the table? I don't think I'll go. Or, yeah, I probably should go. And you RSVP. And then what happens? After you RSVP, the day shows up, and what do you do? Uh, should I go? 
should I not go? I got a lot going on. I'm not sure. So in that day, they sent out an invitation. And if you were a great man, you sent out an invitation. And everybody who got that invitation was like, yes, I'm on the inside. I've got the invitation. The great man invited me to his great banquet. What does that make me? Great. I'm honored. I'm honored to have received your invitation, and I will love to attend your party. And you take your invitation, and you post it on your social media account, because look how awesome I am. I got invited to the party, the party that everybody wanted to. I got my ticket, right? And so the guy would send out these invitations, and everybody would get the invitations. It's going to be a great banquet. Everybody's looking forward to it. Everybody's excited. They're getting out their best religious wear, right? These religious leaders, they had these little boxes that, remember Wednesday night, these little boxes that they put scripture in, and they would tie them on their arms, tie them around their forehead if you were really cool. And then they had these outfits that they would wear and the extra long prayer tassels. And these were visible ways that they showed everybody, look how spiritual I am. They got all this stuff out for the party put it all on, and they're ready to go to the party. And then what would typically happen is that the day that the party started, because by the way, they didn't have catering companies, didn't have refrigeration, they had to actually like, you know, farm to table everything right there on site, you know what I'm saying? I mean, these were really good parties, farm to table. It's mooing over there, and now it's not mooing anymore right here on the table. It's medium, rare, amen? That's what I thought, good, and smoked right there on the table. Amen. That's the first one I got all week. But they would prepare for the party, and he'd have everything out, all the food, all the drink, all of the accommodations would be all set. And then they'd turn to their servants, and they'd say, okay, go tell everybody it's time. And what was supposed to happen is that the the banquet is set. The food is there. It's ready to go. And the servants would go out and say, it's time. And then everybody would start to come in for the party. And they'd come in, and they'd show their greatness, and they'd have this great party. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. That's a shocker to the people who are listening. Jesus is telling a story. These people are listening to a story because you didn't make excuses for this party. If a great man invited you to a great party, you made no excuses. You canceled everything else, and you were at that party. They made excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Now, let me ask you this. They didn't have Zillow, right? How many people do you think were buying fields before they had seen it? Nobody. In that day, they got histories of how many people who had owned the field, the productivity of the field. They knew everything about that field. They had walked the field many, many times before they ever bought it. Can I tell you something? He's lying. How many of you have ever lied to make up an excuse? No, I'm just kidding. I got you once. Don't let me do it again, right? You lie to me, I don't want to go. Oh, my kids are sick. Start coughing now, right? And another one said, I can't come. I bought five, five yoke of oxen, and I have to go to examine them. Please have me excused. Like if somebody didn't come to your wedding because they were like, you know, I bought a bunch of cattle, I bought a bunch of oxen, and I got to go check them out. Like how do you feel in that moment? It's like, I know you're a great man with a great party, and everybody's going to be there, but I, like, I bought some oxen, and i got to go do the ox-checking thing, right? And then the third one, who, again, some of us will say, you know what, I, I understand this person. Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Do you hear the tone of the laughter? 
so masculine. I used this very excuse yesterday, except for it wasn't an excuse. Most of you know that about 30 of our ladies are gone on the ladies' retreat this weekend, and one of them happens to be my wife. <laughs> and my twin's birthday is today, and so last night I said, you guys can have a couple friends over. The next thing I know, there are 20-some teenage girls in my house. At the same time, some of the guys were thinking about getting together to eat meat. Now I'll ask you, men, 20 teenage girls, other men, and meat. I thought that FaceTime would be appropriate for babysitting and making sure the girls didn't kill each other. I can be at the guys' party, and I can just put it on FaceTime and make sure that no one's dying there, and we'll be okay. My wife, however, felt differently about it. <laughs> well, Mike, I have married a wife, and I cannot come. <laughs> I've been married to her for 20 years, and it's worked thus far. I won't be there. <laughs> All three of these excuses are thin veneer. They're lame excuses for missing the party. These people are showing indifference. And, and, and in fact, in that day, to make excuses like this and not come was an insult. It was a snub. Some have said it's even going so far as to make a declaration of war between you and that other person. Like, if they threw that party and honored you with an invitation and you said, oh, sorry, i got to wash my hair tonight, right? That's a declaration of war. Is that still an excuse, by the way? I remember. I, it was used on me a few times, and I <laughs> okay. Uh, so, verse 21, the servant came and reported these things to the master. When the master of the house... Heard he became angry and he said to the servants, Go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in. Remember, Jesus is telling a story here, right? And he's just used in verse 13 some certain people that you should invite to your parties. And in this new story, what does he do? He says, Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there's still room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges. Compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So let me tell you what's going on in this parable, what, what Jesus is actually saying in this story. The banquet host is God. Okay? In the story, as Jesus is telling it, the banquet host is God. The banquet is salvation and eternal life. This is an invitation to salvation, eternal life, life in the kingdom of God. The invited guest is the nation of Israel, these religious elite, these religious insiders. Those are the invited guests. The first invitation where he went out and said there's going to be a party, those are called the Old Testament prophets. The prophets who prophesied of the Messiah who was to come. That's that first invitation. Do you remember how the nation of Israel responded? They were all excited about the first invitation. The nation of Israel said yes to God's first invitation. No, there's going to be a Messiah? There's going to be a Savior? Sign me up for that. Yes! They said yes to the promises, but they said no to the Savior when he showed up. They said no and made excuses when it came time for the party. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, those would have been outsiders. In that day, those would have been the, the Israelite people, the, the Jewish people, 
who were on the outside looking in because people thought that they or their family had done something wrong, that there was some kind of religious deficiency in them, and so they were excluded. If you've ever felt excluded, by the way, you have commonality with these people. The highways and the hedges, weren't, there weren't just outsiders. The highways and the hedges were the outcasts. The highways were where taverns were, and taverns were where bad people hung out, right? Hi- highways and hedges. The hedges were people who were homeless in that day, much like they are, are, there are today, where homeless people made their home and made their camp. And he's inviting all of these different kinds of people. They're spiritually needy. They're spiritually broken people. But they're people who are humble enough to accept the invitation to the, to the table. To accept the invitation and come. Excuses indicate spiritual indifference in this story. This story is a warning to insiders. It's an invitation to outsiders, right? This is a warning for all of us and for you if you're like me who grew up in church who grew up memorizing the verses, who grew up going to the activities and events, the insiders who think that, like, well, I go to church, isn't that good enough? What I hope this parable shows us is that, that there's not a seat at the table just because we're religious insiders. There's not a seat at the table that says, you memorize this many verses. There's not a, ta- a seat at the table that says, you were this nice to your parents. There's not a seat at the table that says, you graduated from Christian high school. There's not a, a seat at the table who says any of those religiously works-based things. That the seat at the table is for those who accept the invitation of Christ. God's banquet table, and I'll close right here, that God's banquet table, like being part of the family of God and finding acceptance in the family of God, is not a holy huddle for hard-hearted religious people to get together and tell each other how great and how awesome they are, Right? It's a banquet table for humble, generous people who have accepted the invitation of Jesus. Like it's a banquet table for people who realize who we are and are so stoked about what God has done for us that, that, that it keeps us from being proud and it makes us want to invite other people to experience the same thing. At the end of the day, Revelation 19 tells it that there's a banquet that's waiting. You like parties? There's a party that's coming, Right? There's a party that's coming with all the togetherness and the belonging and all the excitement and as we've seen, good food and other things, right? Like there's a party for the people of God. There's room at the table for humility. There's room at the table for generosity. There's not room at the table for religious elitism and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, there's room at the table for you. There's room at the table for me. There's room at the table for anyone who has, by faith, accepted Christ as their Savior. Like, some of us will say, like, well, wait a minute. Like, how do I know that that's for me? The scripture is very clear. That as God has given his one and only Son, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a seat at the table. That's a seat at the table. There's room at the table for you if you'll humble yourself and accept Christ. Be in the walk with Christ. 
begin to experience life at the table right now. And so, like, the response today is, like, if you're, like, a religious insider and you know the church thing and you've grown up in church and, and heard it all, is this, like, are you, do you really have a seat at the table? That, that chair says faith. That's all it says, faith. Faith in Christ. Do you really have a seat at the table because you've placed your faith in Christ? And then are you enjoying your seat at the table because you've placed your faith in Christ? And if you haven't this morning, man, I want you to know that like, there's room at the table. That if God is working in your heart, like you're hearing this and you're like, man, I, I want to explore that more. I want to understand that more. That's God prompting and God at work. Maybe you're like, ah, I'm like, I'll stand behind the table and look at it for a little while. That's cool, right? Like maybe you need to explore and think about this Christian thing. There's some Bibles on the back table back there. It's called How to Find God, just so you're clear. Like I don't think that God's lost, but that's what they named the Bible. There's some good stuff in there about like how do we explore who God is and who Jesus is. Grab one of those and start reading it on your own. Send me an email or Lauren an email or hit us up on the uh, connect card that I'm going to show you in a minute. But we want to help. We want to help point you in that direction. At the end of the day, man, there's a party that's coming, and I'm excited to be part of it.